I, I just like the diversity of cultures. I mean, I had friends from Togo. I had friends from Belgium. I had friends from Algeria. I just always love that diversity of different cultures that was just organic. It wasn't a forced thing of like, yeah. let's try to be diverse. It was like, no, we just had different friends and we never. Yeah, you're living it. Spot. Yeah, you know, so I, I already had that passion early on. And then um, my parents, you know, my dad would always brag like, oh, she doesn't have an accent in French, she doesn't have an accent in English. And I would just be like, oh, you know, whatever, big deal. And when I moved to the States, um, that's when I think it really hit me because people would like sometimes culturally they would know that I didn't certain, know certain songs from the 70s or 80s because I didn't grow up here. So obviously they could um, figure it out that, wait, she didn't, there's something off like culturally. Yeah. <laughs> But um, in terms of the, the accent and the vocabulary, I realized that, that was an advantage. What if you, with purpose and mindfulness, decided to surround yourself with positivity? What if you walked away from negative energy? What if you were constantly the positive energy in every room you walked into until it became so contagious that you positively impacted everyone around you? How would that impact your life. You're listening to Compassionate Mindfulness with Xenia, the podcast that will inspire you to use your story to change the world. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. As part of our intentional living, mindfulness in an ever-growing multicultural world, I had the pleasure of having a conversation with Rachel Demeo. Rachel is a speaker for a variety of workshops and conferences in professional development, a teacher, YouTuber, author, and so much more. She is the founder and an instructor at Belle Terre Academy, and she's also the founder, director, and president of FLAM San Diego. She trains employees, instructors, and language professors in customized sessions such as workshops geared towards French professors. Rachel has more than 17 years of experience in teaching and creates educational videos for students learning French and provides general language learning tips weekly on her popular YouTube channel. She has published six books so far and has also written different articles and journals. Check out the links in the descriptions for ways to connect with her. Alors, sans plus tarder, voici Rachel. Bonjour, Rachel. Merci d'être parmi nous. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay, so let's start right away by you telling us about yourself and how you arrived at becoming a mompreneur. Uh, tell us about that beautiful empire that you're building uh yes please yeah absolutely um so i was originally born and raised in the south of france but my parents are english speaking my dad's american italian my mom is british so i grew up with both english and french and then with all these different cultures um and then i ended up learning italian later on as a teen just because i wanted to i always knew i wanted to teach that was something that from a very young age i just knew I, I, it was my passion and I really had a passion as well for different languages and cultures. So I kind of wanted to marry both. I knew I wanted to teach some type of language. I just didn't know what at first. And then um, I did my French baccalaureate, did some studies in France. And then I ended up moving to the United States on the East Coast in Maryland, where I continued my studies 
and I was teaching for different schools and organizations, and I even interned for a congressman for a little bit, but I focused a lot on education, and uh, then I ended up landing a job teaching middle school and high school in California, which I thought was going to be a one-year thing, and again, like, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to teach, and they said, oh, you're French, you're from France, you have uh, your degree, so teach French, and I said, okay, that kind of got me started and to really focus in on on teaching just French, because before I was teaching um, English, French, and Italian, like mostly for beginners, for different companies would hire me out to, to teach their employees. And so um, I was supposed to stay years and met my husband here. And then that just kind of became that the fact that I was going to stay here for longer than just a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we end up having children. We have two boys now. They are right now nine and ten and a half, almost 11. And um, then I went from teaching middle school and high school. I had had a few um, years experience teaching elementary, but it was mostly middle school and high school for quite some time. And then I ended up teaching college level, which I absolutely adored. I invested a lot of time. And as a mom, you know, most ladies who become mom can relate to how busy life suddenly becomes and how all the things that we want to do for us tends to become be on the back burner and that somehow we're trying to juggle. We even just as a stay-at-home mom, that's a full-time job. It's just so much Absolutely. work. We're trying to juggle that and then juggle like cleaning the house and cooking and just so much stuff. And some of us, you know, want to maybe possibly keep a foot in our career or may need to. And um, for me, I just decided that I wanted to be part-time. So I was very fortunate to be able to teach at um, a couple colleges. And I was just teaching one class at first. So I really would absent myself two afternoons and could go from breastfeeding my kid to teach my class, to come back and breastfeed. And um, I worked a lot at night. So that was very challenging um, because a lot of times I would spend the time that I would wanna be sleeping, uh, working on my classes, working on creating activities for my students, trying to find how I could link the French language to their life, whether it was a professional life, whether it was in their studies or how they could use it living in the United States. So I did that for nine years and I fully invested in the three colleges that I ended up teaching at. And um, my husband saw after a certain time that I just kind of tend to think outside the box. That's just kind of how I've been. Uh, And he just encouraged me, said, why don't you just do your own thing, so to speak? Why don't you become an entrepreneur? And I was really reluctant. So I have to thank him for being the one to push me to do that because I had that security and that comfort of knowing that I had a um, certain paycheck every month and that it was a steady income and that uh, I had that, that security that you don't always have as an entrepreneur. But, um, you know, I had maxed out the education I could get for what I did. I already had two master degrees in my field and I had already had a really good reputation at the colleges I was at. And it, I just wasn't going anywhere. It was just stagnating. And despite the many times that I would try to do things extra to really connect our, our students to the French language, they often I felt like people think they don't think outside the box. They just kind of have students go through their classes without thinking of the impact that will leave long term and how that could help them in their professional lives, possibly with a job, whether it's traveling and even in their personal lives, understanding different cultures helps you just become a more well-rounded person. So 
long story short, he really pushed me to do my own thing. And so I did two and a half years ago, I left the colleges I was teaching at and I fully invested into doing what I love, which was still teaching. So I just set my own company. Um, I, for, I started a company called Beltair Academy. I don't know if you can see it or not, but yes, yeah. <laughs> have to have my coffee in the morning yes. uh, or two coffees, <laughs> the French Italian side, <laughs> coffee and wine. <laughs> Um, so yes, I just, um, I launched my own company and, uh, teaching different students. So I have over a dozen of different courses that students can take at their own pace and there's quizzes and there's, um, everything they need to learn, whether it's handouts, videos, audios, practice activities, they can connect with other students. There are resources that I provide them daily so that it really keeps them submerged to the French language. So, I've had now over like 460, I believe, students come through my classes um, in the last two and a half years. Um, well, actually, technically two, because the time that I put this website together and whatnot takes a little time. Right. Um, I've been it's, developing. It's very easy to go through, by the way. Your website is beautiful. Yeah, it's well done. Thank you. And then, you know, it, yeah, it took me about eight years just to create the courses themselves. I'd already been developing them because originally the college was thinking of us creating our own curriculum. So it's kind of funny how sometimes we do things for other people genuinely, and then it happens benefiting us in an odd way. Mm -hmm. um, same with the first textbook that I published that was over 450 pages. Originally, my students would come to me and say, hey, I don't understand um, this grammatical point, for instance. I don't understand what so this, so is, like what indirect and direct object pronouns are, and I'd have to a lot of them would solicit me through email and ask me via email, like, hey, how would you like explain this? And so I'd write them a long little email, explain it the way I thought I could. And they liked it. And then those emails ended up becoming handouts because it was very repetitive. And then I'd end up providing those handouts as well as the required expensive textbook that we had to use right. in college. And um, over time, I saw students from one semester to the next that print out these handouts from that I had created and they had put them in this little like spiral binder and wow. they were just using them and they're like we prefer this than a textbook the textbook's two hundred dollars and it cost us you know 30 bucks to print these out and so I was like hmm and then <laughs> well yeah and then my art um my art history colleague who she had published a book and she's like you need to publish a book and I was like I don't think I have enough and I had hundreds of handouts by then and so I just took the handouts that I'd been providing to my students and made my first book. And then I ended up publishing two textbooks that were both 450 pages each. And wow. at first the college was just going to benefit from that. And um, same with the, the content that I'd created. And then when I decided to do my own thing, I was pretty much, I already had that content out there. I had been working for eight years on developing this content. Yeah. And um, so that, that worked out really well. And so now pretty much what I do is that I um, sell courses so students can take them at their own pace, mostly for learning French. I have another course on how to raise bilingual and multilingual multicultural children. Um, I write books. I've published six so far. I'm working on an audio version for one of them. And um, then I, you know, I do YouTube videos. I do two a week. Um, one on Tuesdays, it's usually a French lesson. So people that want to learn French and then, um, on Fridays, I just show everyday life in France. So I film videos every year we go for about a month and a half and most likely longer next year. And I just film videos when I'm there and I have different collaborations. So 
people can see life, everyday life. They listen to French conversations. And ironically, I have just as many French speakers listening to my videos than English speakers. I'm not sure why I haven't figured out those <laughs> statistics, but um, that's pretty much what I do. And then I do some conferences as well. I'm invited to speak for mostly everything I do is related to education, whether it's um, raising children or whether it's um, learning a language, but it does usually tie into languages and education. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. yeah, I, I find that uh, it's so close to my heart because as some people may know, I grew up with both French and English and it's just so appealing to me to have your child speak both languages. Um, here in Quebec, you have to learn the, the French language and I know a lot of English speaking people kind of complain, oh, they don't want it, but it's such a beautiful thing to be able to speak both languages. Um, my father was French, my mom was English and ironically, um, they were both teachers. So yeah. like you, I, I have that in my heart to want to teach people like in a genuine way, you know, and I think through the podcast, you kind of get to do that. So I'm kind of living a little bit of that, not as much as you, but, but a little bit of it. But it's just I, I love I love what you've come up with. It's just very um, it speaks to my heart, basically. It's really nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's to be honest, it's very challenging. And sometimes when I talk to people, um, it's, it's weird. There's two things that I'll say that, um, that are very honest. One thing is it does a little something it can do when you go from having a job that has a certain title or that some people believe that has some kind of cool title going from that to then an entrepreneur is really challenging. It does something to your ego. Like before I had somewhat of a pride um, to say, hey, you know, by the age of 27, I was teaching college level. I was a college professor. And going mm -hmm. from that to an entrepreneur sometimes can be misleading because people can be like, an entrepreneur can seem like a lazy person, which actually usually quite the opposite. Yeah. So it's a lot of work. Um, and it's a lot of dedication and you have to be constantly motivated. I usually have one day a week where I'm just a little bit like <laughs> yeah. just like oh I don't know this is you know challenging because you're your own boss which is neat you have the flexibility which is awesome but you also have to wear a lot of different hats and that's Absolutely. where it becomes challenging and you have to not always look at the income because now I'm looking at different sources of income versus one and I sometimes I have to like look at the long scheme of things and I'm only two and a half years in they say it takes at least six years to get things started so yeah yeah, I still have a ways to go. <laughs> that's right. And the people who kind of uh, think that the title is not enough or, you know, it's, it's you know, not to par, it, they don't really know. And I think it's also a matter of your mindset and how words can be so heavy. Entrepreneur can mean so many different things. And mm -hmm. I think the word gets thrown around a lot these days. So yeah. for people to say college professor versus entrepreneur, some people may think, oh, you know, yeah, I mean, college professor, you were a college, why did you leave that? But at the same time, when you understand what goes into it, you, that language, it doesn't mean anything. Like it's really, you know, it's, it's powerful things that you're doing. So keep doing it. <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> um, so next question is, how do you integrate any mindfulness or compassion into your business? Um, I would say different ways. So again, going really through teaching and this, I think can apply just as much to people learning any language or taking any class, really just as much as being a parent, um, is being very mindful in terms of the individual themselves. So what I mean by that is 
often in colleges or any institutions, schools, they put everybody kind of in this box, depending on the personality that most instructors have, because there is kind of a link to why we pick that job. And um, taking in mind a person's personality type and their learning style is really important. So to me, having compassion is... For instance, like in college, I would have students that would say, there's no way I can learn a language. And it's very easy as an instructor to say, well, maybe if you weren't so lazy, maybe if you didn't do this, maybe, you know, and kind of put them like, like thinking that they should be like us. But if we actually step back and say, well, this is this individual's personality. How can they best learn with their personality? Um, what is their learning style? How can they best learn and retain information? What can I do to help them learn and retain information? And other things that sometimes need to be taken in mind, especially with children, is their love language or possible wounds that they have as a kid and how we can help them despite that. And so put for me, the word compassion is just taking a step back and saying they're different than me and that's okay. So how can I meet them where they're at? And those factors are really important. And in most institutions, they just, it's kind of like fast food industry where they're just going through a drive-through and they're not taking the time to know their students and say, how can you best learn? How, what is suited for you? And how can I motivate you to want to learn by helping you specifically? So I think that there has to be mindfulness and the same with learning a language or when you're either teaching a language, you have to have a certain strategy and how are you going to do that? And most of the time in institutions, what they do is that they just teach what's on the curriculum. And I'm thinking, why are we not teaching what is learned the most? Like, why are we not just giving them some basics so that they can already start using it? And then from there, they can learn more. I mean, 80% of our language is based on a thousand words. So why aren't we focusing on those a thousand words first, for instance? Right, right. And the same with parenting. I think that there, um, when you're teaching your children several languages, there has to be mindfulness and it has to come early on because it just gets harder and harder. That's right. So it's easier at first if you're able to submerge into a language and do little things. It's all the little things you do, whether you're teaching a language to your children or to students, or whether you're learning a language, it's all just a series of habits that you do throughout the day. And it could take 10 minutes to do those little habits, but it's just, a lot of it is just mental. Does that answer the question? Absolutely, absolutely. And I love the fact that you integrate uh, people's different learning styles in there, because like you say, the um, teaching curriculum does not include for um, somebody who's more artistic or somebody who, you know, who can't focus and is practically needs a, a ball under his bum so that he could be moving while he's learning. They don't include that. And the fact that you're just, you're conscious enough to even know that there are different uh, people, personalities and styles that you can apply to teaching is just really nice so thank you for that answer yeah no of course I feel like when teachers um when I do workshops for teachers I tell them because they often put these children in the box and they have to sit straight and do you know whatever it is and sometimes I just have to tell them like you know like for instance those fidget yeah. toys that you see a lot they actually help students like one of my sons who actually is dyslexic and has ADHD mm -hmm. that helps them and I tell my, my my teacher colleagues when I do workshops for them I say what would it do for them to have one of those fidget things that doesn't make noise right pop it things whatever it is underneath their desk they're not bugging anybody you can't see it but to them that helps relieve the stress that's helping them focus yeah like for me I have a ability to concentrate and just kind of focus 
My husband doesn't. So trying to tell him that he needs to do something that he struggled his whole life to do is not fair. It's unfair. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. And you see the fact that you have a child that's going through uh, kind of discrimination sometimes when he was at school, most likely, um, it helps you um, cultivate that compassion uh, that some people might not have. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Absolutely. No, of course. Yeah. And why would you say um, it was important for your children to know more than one language? Like, have you seen uh, studies or any benefits from it? Yeah. So, you know, growing up for me, growing up with different languages, um, my dad was a pastor in France and that's why they went to France in the first place. He was just a Christian non-denominational pastor. And um, he went with my mom there. And for them, it was just automatic that I would learn English because they were already communicating in English together. So I don't know how much thought they put into it. I would have to right. ask um, but my dad had a, like Italian background. And so we'd go to Italy a lot. And so I, I just like the diversity of cultures. I mean, I had friends from Togo. I had friends from Belgium. I had friends from Algeria. I just always love that diversity of different cultures that was just organic. It wasn't a forced thing of like, yeah. let's try to be diverse. It was like, no, we just had different friends and we never. Yeah, you're living it. Yeah. You know, so I, I already had that passion early on. And then um, my parents, you know, my dad would always brag like, oh, she doesn't have an accent French, she doesn't have an accent English. And I would just be like, oh, you know, whatever, big deal. And when I moved to the States, um, that's when I think it really hit me because people would like, sometimes culturally they would know that I didn't certain, know certain songs from the seventies or eighties because I didn't grow up here. So obviously they could um, figure it out that, wait, she didn't, there's something off like culturally. Yeah. But um, in terms of the, the accent and the vocabulary, I realized that, that was an advantage. So for me, for getting different jobs, I like so many opportunities that I've had, even outside of teaching, have been because of speaking another language. Like I interned for a congressman in Washington, D.C., and at first I had nothing to do with languages, but once he found out that I spoke French, I was calling people in Switzerland and calling people in Congo, and I was kind of the, you know, interpreter. And then I ended up um, getting hired by Northrop Grumming, which is a huge engineering company. And at first they hired me to teach their engineers French because they had um, Algerian engineers that were learning from them. Mm -hmm. And then it became kind of a mix of different um, roles where I was doing some administration, some translation and some teaching. So I realized that the language part was huge and being able to understand different cultures was big. And then um, when I started teaching college, I would have some students that would come in and they'd be like, oh, you know, my parents were French speaking and they gave me some basis so I can understand. But here I am. I really want to learn now. And I'm taking a college class and paying for it instead of getting college you know, credit just by taking the exam, which could have been easily done. So suddenly I was like, wow, this is big. And so before I had kids. I started noticing like that I have to be mindful in this. I can't just expect it to happen and just think that if I speak to them in French and suddenly, you know, that's going to be it. So I studied it. I did a lot of research for about a decade. And um, in my second master's, I focused actually, even if my master's is in education, the second one, I focused a lot of it on learning because it was in teaching and learning anyway and learning different languages. And it just, there's just a lot of benefits for your brain. I mean, it makes you use different sides of your brain. So that's already huge. It makes you more well-rounded. And it also gives you an ability to understand people of different cultures because you're more open to it. So I think that those are things that um, have helped. And then raising my own children, being surrounded with a lot of families whose kids didn't speak, it motivated me more 
to be like, okay, how can I do this? And this is actually the first year that my kids have thanked me um, because we oh. went to France and they went to a public school knowing again that one of my kids is dyslexic and has ADHD. I mean, he got all of it and then the other one's fine. It's like, you know, two extremes almost. Yeah. And I was kind of apprehensive, but um, in a public school, French school, they followed all the classes easily. And I talked to the teachers because I was, you know, I'm an educator too. So I'm like, are you sure they're doing okay? How's their level in French? They're like, no, they follow fine. I mean, some things like division, the way we do division in French or in English is different, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, it wasn't a language barrier. So knowing that has pushed me even more to the fact that there are benefits. And um, I had one of my kids get solicited, contacted to be in a commercial just because he spoke French and English. Wow. And I wasn't even looking to do that. So there, there are definitely benefits to it. Yeah, definitely. And I love the fact that you say culturally how uh, we're able to, as people who speak two languages or more, able to relate to more people because we're able to, yeah, to kind of understand this and understand that and be able to, you know, attract different types of people because of that. That's great. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So do you have any insights you can give us, give the listeners any tips, encouragements, anything? So on learning languages, on teaching languages, or I'm raising kids with languages. Anything, <laughs> both, all, everything. Okay. Um, so for learning a language, I would say definitely um, the, the, it's, it's harder at the beginning. So the, the hardest is when you start learning a language, it gets easier as you progress in learning a language, what I would focus on is really four things when you're learning any language. First of all is learn the words that are the most used. You can research it. I provide it in my courses, but I mean, you can research the words that are most used, number one. Number two, the phrases that are most used. So some of it may include slang, but what's actually used the most? Because that makes more sense to focus on what people use instead of like some word that you probably would use once in your lifetime. Then the third thing that I recommend is little by little getting to learn some of the slang and some of the culture behind that. And then the fourth thing that I recommend is learning the words that really apply to you specifically to your life. So if you're a mom, how do you say mom? If you have kids, how do you say kids? If you're a hairdresser, for instance, how do you say hairdresser? Um, if you love to play tennis, how do you say tennis? So learn the words that apply to you specifically because they're going to come up in conversation and they might not be learned in a traditional course right away, but that's what you're going to start talking about. So if you're learning a language, focus on those four things. Um, if you are teaching a language, I think it's really important to dig in to provide the right resources for your students. So teaching them is great. Giving them all the basics is great. Giving them grammar, vocabulary, history, geography, reading, writing, uh, oral comprehension and speaking is awesome. But what else are you doing? Are you plugging them to the language that um, in different ways, such as the music? What radio stations are you providing them with? What films can you recommend for them to listen to? What are some podcasts like this one that they might want to listen to? Maybe there's some French speakers that want to learn English and they could listen to this podcast because it's, you know, in English. And so it's helping them. And so to me as a teacher, it's providing, it's good to say, oh, listen to music in French, but what are you doing? And what types of music are there? Are you saying, hey, let me introduce you to high. Let me introduce you to Zouk. Let me introduce you to um, French rock, which is going to be different than American rock. And so you need to provide that as a teacher and get to know your students individually. What is their background? Why do they want to learn French? Oh, that's awesome. They have a parent that's from Cameroon. I get it. That's that's really inspiring. I would want to learn French. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. For instance, 
So I feel that it's getting to know your students and obviously the languages, I mean, the learning styles and the personality types comes along with that, which is, I'll mention that in just a little bit. But in terms of raising children with different languages, it really depends if you speak them or not. If you speak the language already, then I would say start simply by exclusively speaking them the language that you speak that is not spoken in the country you live in. Because the thing is like whatever country you live in, they're hearing the language. You go to the post office, you go to the grocery store, you go to the bank, you talk to your neighbors, you're all speaking the language that is mostly spoken in the country that you live in. So if you have another language that you speak, speak to them in that language. If, if you're not fluent, I still think that that's okay. My key is some exposure is better than no exposure. So giving them something versus nothing to me is more important than making sure that they're completely fluent or whatever. If you have an accent, if you, it's not your native language, if you have struggles speaking it, it's still something. And then there's other ways that you can do that. Having babysitters, for instance, that speak that language or finding communities through like meetup groups that speak that language, having them listening to podcasts and movies and music and listen in that language. So there's many things that you can do to help your kids learn a language, whether you speak it or not. And if fortunately your spouse or significant other speaks a third language, then why not provide them with that as well? Uh, I've had, when I do conferences for families, I, I'm often asked like, how does that work with dyslexic kids? Or, and I can relate because I went through the ringer where I had entire te like teams of schools, meaning like, the administration, the principal, teachers telling me, stop speaking your kid in French because he's confused. That's why he's probably has some challenges. And I said, I'm an educator. My kid has ADHD. And they said, no, we don't think so. I said, he is dyslexia. They're like, no, we don't think so. He has challenges because he's learning two languages. I said, no, I don't buy that. I don't believe yeah. it. And I just stuck my guns. And I really said, you know what? No, I'm, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and he'll figure it out. And he did. And the younger one, ironically, could skip a grade. And so, you know, mm. when I come back to my, the same teams, I'm like, well, then how do you explain that the older one has challenges because he's learning two languages and the younger one doesn't. And he's also learning two challenges. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So I would say kind of in your, I, this is how I look at it with um, people that give you advice on learning languages. Are, how many languages do they speak? If they're monolingual, I don't take advice on how to raise my kids bilingual from a monolingual parent, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because to me, like when the principal would say, hey, stop speaking your kid in French. I was like, how many languages do you speak? She's like, just English. And I said, okay, I understand where you're coming from, but I grew up with several languages. I had no problem with it. So, you know, like you have expertise in other areas, but this is something that I believe as a bilingual I need to rely on what I believe on. Yeah, and I can attest to that. It's yeah. it's great to yeah. have uh, more than one language. We're sponges as children. We'll we'll pick it up. I wanted to ask you though, mm -hmm. third language, because my husband and I speak Creole, but the kids don't speak that at all. So they speak French and English. How would you suggest we kind of integrate the third one? Like I feel like it might mix it up. Although they're kind of. I'm super upset at my dad because he speaks seven languages. Okay. And wow. yeah, and, and I, I love Spanish and Italian and I, I took courses in it and everything. And I'm so upset at him that he didn't kind of throw in some words or phrases here and there so that I can learn it. So now I don't want my kids to be upset at me later on. I want to kind of start integrating that third language, but I'm kind of scared. Do, or at do your husband speak Creole together? 
No, actually, we don't really speak it in the house because okay. he'll speak it sometimes because he speaks to his sister a lot and he's on the phone with her and I'll come in sometimes and start speaking it and the kids will kind of laugh at us or, you know, have a few expressions here and there, but we don't know how to kind of ease that uh, in. No, I get it. I've had that with Italian because um, I speak Italian. I learned it as a teen. I felt the same way with my family on my dad's side. Like, why didn't I learn this early on? Like, yeah. You know, I, I was a teen when I learned it. So it wasn't, it, well, I still have an accent. I, I still, you know, have an accent when I speak Italian. I unfortunately didn't learn a lot of slang. The instructor I had didn't teach me some of the things like cuss words, which I believe are part of learning a language <laughs> and you have to know them. But um, so with the kids, I focused on French because it was my native language. It's because I knew I could do that fluently with knowing my husband, he's American, but we kind of speak both English and French together. It's not mm -hmm. what I recommend. <laughs> I, would, I would, I wish that we only spoke French together. I wish that he only spoke French to the kids and they were to respond to him in French, but kids know they're, you know, they're really smart. They yeah. all kids, they pick up very quickly on what is easier for the parent. And usually they go with that language. Exactly. Yeah. So with Italian, I have, I wouldn't call my kids trilingual, even if people have been like, oh, your kids are trilingual. No, they're not. They have some knowledge of Italian. Um, what I, what I've done since they've been babies is I'll do Italian with them like once or twice a week. So I'll just read them books in Italian or we'll look at vocabulary. Mm -hmm. But um, the oldest who ironically is the one who's dyslexic and has ADHD thrives in Italian. He's so good. He can translate stuff. The younger one is wow. kind of less motivated, but um, the, the, that has given some exposure. Um, but now what we're starting to do, we're starting something new with our family uh, where um, they have to memorize already this little verse once a week. And so they get a little, you know, like they once a week, we have a little something that they have to meditate on, which I feel like it helps them in their behavior. And so now we're doing the same thing with Italian where on the on a whiteboard, I literally am just putting some basic words and phrases that the ones obviously that are the most used and they have a week to memorize them. So we just look over them a little bit every day. I can tell you in three months if it's successful or not, but I think it's like when there's more than two languages, which, you know, seems like a lot, it's just giving them some of the exposure. And so maybe it's just having, you know, a radio talk in Creole every single day. They're just hearing it because I do that with Italian where I'll put um, radio and Italian and the kids just hear it. So it's yeah. not they won't be as strong. That's for sure. I mean, my kids, they, they could have a basic conversation in Italian, but it won't go far, even if we go to Italy and, but at least they're getting some exposure. So, and that yeah, will motivate them. Yeah. And that'll mm -hmm. motivate them, you know, early on. And I think that whether you're learning a new language, whether you're teaching a language or whether you're raising kids with different languages, it definitely um, learning what you're learning or knowing what your learning style is. There's a free quiz that you can take to know that. And it explains it. I have a video that explains it as well. Um, figure out where your personality is. Like, um, for instance, if you're more like my husband, he's a huge, what they call rebel. So he likes to play a lot. So if I do anything that involves a game in French, he's all about it. But if I'm right. like, let's sit down and let's, you know, be serious, <laughs> not work with him, you yeah, know, it's not having it. Yeah. So I think all those things are good to know and being able to reward ourselves or reward our students by words or by, you know, whatever it is. And well, obviously, depending what you're trying to do, but like, you know, with they have a kid, like if I know my kid, his, his love language is words of affirmation. I'm going to go above and beyond. Oh my God. No, I can't believe that you can translate this in Italian. This is unbelievable. You're so good at this. So things like that can really help motivate whether you're learning a language or teaching a language to students or your children. 
Yeah, that, that's a great answer. Thank you so much. I will be applying that with my children. Thank you so much for this. I think a lot of people are going to benefit from this conversation. It's, um, it's a great one to have when you're talking about diversity, multiculturalism, and just accepting uh, people for, you know, for all their shades, all their languages, all, you know, all their beauty. So thank you very much for this. You're more than welcome. Thank you for allowing me to share. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I hope I'm going to give all of your resources as well um, in the description. So for people who want to follow you, um, is there any, um, you, you mentioned the book that you you have, but I'll be putting it in the description anyways, but you want to tell us the name of the book one last time? Yeah, so, um, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, if you just put Rochelle DeMeo on Amazon, that's probably the easiest way to look at the books that I have. Um, I have a couple thick ones that are like um, college textbooks and they're just learning French. They're just books to help you learn French um, through a variety of things. I've had actually a dozen of other contributors help me with the book, mm -hmm. um, talking about different parts of the French speaking world. For instance, like I had a friend talk about Lebanon or I had a friend actually talk about Togo. So I have like, it, it's not just France. Like right. I, since I'm French, I talked about what I know about France, but even other regions in France were actually things that friends of mine you know, brought up. So I have a couple books on learning French. I have one um, on maintaining a language. Um, and it really, it's called fluent in French. It's like how to like be fluent in a language forever and not lose a language. Cause you get a lot of people that say, oh, yeah. I once used to speak X language and now I lost it. So yeah. it just tells you what to do to not have that happen. And then I have um, a book called How to Successfully Raise Multilingual and or Bilingual, Multilingual, Multicultural Children. And I have that same version in French. That one's going to be an audio book, hopefully by the end of the year. So busy parents can listen to it when they drop their kids off, for instance. And that one's only 60 pages anyway. It's not that long. And then I have one for teachers called um, How to Teach Through Games, Community, and Culture. So how to teach French um in a more fun way outside the box way and that one's a shorter one too amazing. so those are the amazing. ones that I have and they're on Amazon or just on my website rochelledemayo.com I have all of that pr pretty much out there thank you so much you are an amazing mompreneur that uh, people are going to gravitate towards even more after hearing this because you do some beautiful work and I can't wait to share this with uh, as many people as possible thank you so much thank you I appreciate the opportunity as always, I thank you for tuning in. These episodes are meant to be of massive value to you, and so I hope you got something out of it. And if you did, all I ask in return is for you to give it a thumbs up, give it some love and the reviews, share with one or two friends whom you know will benefit from hearing this content, check out the links in the description, continue to lead with empathy, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Many blessings.